0: Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michael's 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there and welcome back. This is Walk Through the Bible Week 11. We are really making progress. I hope you're enjoying your reading half as much as I'm enjoying mine. I've been learning so many things and I've had so much fun putting together these teachings for you and reviewing what we're reading. So this week we're going to um, be going through what in the Daily Bible is pages 329 to 353, or it's the dates March 12th through the 18th. I want to remind you of the first quarter review that's coming up, and we'll, we'll probably air that review about week 13. But in the meantime, I want to hear from you so that I can prepare and answer your questions during our first quarter review. So go to outofzionshow.com. Down at the bottom, you can leave your uh, comments and questions or we'll link directly to that in today's show notes. I really want to hear from you. Your feedback will help me as we go into the second quarter of our year through the Bible and uh, to make sure I'm providing what you're looking for and what you need. So let's review. So far last week, we have entered the land. Wasn't that a big relief? We made it through the wilderness wanderings. We made it through the law. We made it through even the death of Moses. We've got a new leader and we are in the land. What a relief so exciting. We celebrated the Passover we had uh, we celebrated a second major water crossing. We rededicated ourselves uh, in circumcision and now we're ready to go. One big problem, the first city we're to take is Jericho. Now last week we quickly talked about how the spies went into Jericho and they met, the woman, Rahab, who lived, her home was in the walls of the city. And she said to them, you know, fear has just filled the land over you all. We know that God is with you. And so when you all come and you take the city, will you spare me and my family? So they made a deal with Rahab. And as a result, she sheltered them. And then they were able to escape the city and get back and gave their faith-filled report to the people and to Joshua that the Lord has given us the land because it's been filled uh, with fear of us. So Jericho is what some archeologists call the oldest city on earth. The remains at Jericho go back thousands of years. This is because it's down in a very, very dry area in the Jordan Valley, very close to the Dead Sea. And if you've been there, you know anything about that area of the country. It's arid, very, very dry. Um, It is also uh, very low, not that that has anything to do with the preservation, but Jericho was built in an area that is a tropical climate, very arid, dry, and there's water source there, fresh water springs, so it was a great location for a city, a great location to live. Um, and at a time when you don't have heat and you don't have air conditioning. And uh, so it had just been there since the beginning of time, really. The archaeologists will tell you it goes back to 9,000 years before Christ. Of course, if we go by the chronology of the Bible, um, we don't know how long uh, the earth has been around, but I'm just telling you what the archaeologists say. Now, Jericho also is in the area uh, that's considered the lowest area in the world. You know, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on Earth. So it's the lowest body of water on Earth. And Jericho would be like the lowest, it's in that lowest area uh, of the Earth. It's down in a rift valley between two of the major tectonic plates of two continents and it's kind of moved apart, formed this deep, deep valley. That's the Jordan River Valley, and that's where Jericho is. Now, Jericho, because it had been there for so long, generation after generation had built up walls and fortification. And I mean, the walls that they have found, the archaeologists have found this at Jericho. Um, They're really, really large. I'm going to describe that in a minute. Um, the One other word about the location of Jericho now for the Israelites, it was right in the way for them to cross the Jordan and go up into the hill country. Uh, Jer- Jericho kind of guarded the gateway there to the hill country of the land of Canaan. And, um, you know, there's a Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem, Jerusalem is up in the mountains, like low lying mountains, but called mountains. And then Jericho's down here at the very, very lowest point on earth. So it's quite a drop. Um, And coming from Jerusalem, there is a big canyon in the mountains, in the cliffs, called a wadi. In Arabic, the word wadi means a dry riverbed. So it's where water has cut through these mountains. And you have this deep canyon that goes all the way down to Jericho. It's called the Wadi Kelt. The Wadi Kelt has about three different water sources in its springs. And so this water was, was worth a lot down at the dry area of Jericho. And so back even under the Hasmoneans, under the early Roman occupation, they built an aqueduct to take the water down to Jericho, where Herod the Great built a huge palace for himself. And uh, later, many years later, even the British built an aqueduct uh, back in the early 1900s to take water then down to that dry Dead Sea area. And um, there's it's now a nature reserve, and lots of people love to go down there and hike. And I actually did it once. We uh, walked, we took a bus from Jerusalem down into the wadi there. So I don't know how, I don't think we were halfway down, maybe a third of the way down. And then we uh, got off the bus. We go down into the wadi and we began to walk towards Jericho. And then eventually we ended up on the aqueduct, which is running at the edge of the cliff and uh, walked along it until finally it all emptied down into the area of Jericho. So it's was a, pro- a full day's hike and um, I I always remember it. And every time I think of Jericho, I think of that wadi kilt. It was quite an experience uh, walking on that aqueduct because we started out down at the bottom. We ended up way up at the top of the cliff. And what a view. And, uh, And then we end up down there in Jericho. But that's just to give you a little picture of the setting there around uh, Jericho. Now let's talk about the walls that were around Jericho at the time of our story. They archaeologists have found that around Jericho was a 15-foot wall, and on top of that was another mud brick wall of eight feet. So like a 15-foot stone wall and then a mud brick wall of another eight feet. But then on the outside of that wall, they had dug a ditch down all the way down to the bedrock. So I don't know, you're probably talking about 30 feet of outside wall. Then inside that wall was a ramp a 15-foot ramp up, and then on top of that ramp was another mud brick wall. So let's say another 20 feet of height beyond the 30 feet height wall, the outer wall, 30 feet, the inner wall, another 20 feet, something like that. It was amazing. And then what they found is that in between the two walls on that ramp, houses were built. These, of course, were houses of the poor. If you were wealthy, you lived where it was safer, inside the second wall, maybe even inside a palace or a fortified structure, the very wealthy. So it's the poor that lived out. They were, in a way, the first defense. If anybody came through that first wall, they were there. And uh, But they did find houses. And this is what we read in the stories that Rahab lived on the wall. And um, they have found the remains of all of this. So um, now let's picture this. You've got these tall walls, and what do you have on top of walls? But you would have some kind of watchmen, some type of guards, more than likely with bows and arrows, so that if any enemy is approaching, they could attack them from the top of the wall. And so here the Israelites are, they take the Ark of the Covenant, they have the priest with the Ark of the Covenant to make sure that it's carried correctly and with the respect that it needs. But then they have armed guards before and after and they go and they silently walk around the walls of this city. I would love to hear what was being said inside the city and by these archers, why they didn't um, attack. But I guess because they were just silent walking around it, they didn't get any kind of reaction out of them. Um, So we know the story. They did this for six days. And then on the seventh day, they circled the city seven times. And then they blew the shofars, the horns, and then they shouted. And at that, the walls Fell. Well, in the archaeological evidence, there are the walls fell. And what's even really amazing is that they also found an area of the wall with homes there that did not fall. So, could that have been the home of Rahab and that's how God saved her? Maybe. The problem is the archaeologists are going to tell you that these remains and this destruction does not agree with the timing of the Bible. Okay, one day they'll probably figure out that it does. But until then, they're going to tell you that there's no archaeological evidence of the story at Jericho. But what they have found actually is exactly the story of, that we read in the Bible. And that's why this week, I'm going to be doing an interview for as part of our Going Deeper series with uh, Tim Mahoney. And he's going to talk about the archaeological evidence they found at Jericho and of the conquest. And we're going to discuss this issue about the timing Um, he did a documentary called Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus, and we've interviewed him twice before about the Israelites in Egypt and then about the crossing of the Red Sea. But in his documentary on the Exodus, he he talks about Jericho, and he takes you there, and he shows you the archaeology, and he shows you a map of the city, and it's really very well done. So that's why I'm recommending that you get uh, Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus, which we link to in today's show notes, as well as tune back in in a couple of days where we'll be releasing our Going Deeper interview on the evidence of the conquest, and that'll be with Tim Mahoney. So now let's pick up our story. So they've, they have defeated Jericho, and um, they, of course, destroyed the city. They burned it. And I know that we're very uncomfortable with that. We think, you know, that's troublesome. That's unnecessary. Why did they have to burn the city and destroy everybody? And the answer is that in that time, um, if your God was with you, He brought victory. And victory at that time was a complete victory. It was a, an elimination of the enemy and that's what they expected. That's what was needed or else the enemy would then destroy you, would always be a thorn in your side. And um, But I want to bring out another point here because, you know, look, if I was Joshua, I would have looked at Jericho and said, hey, let's go in and rebuild the walls and let's make it our fortified city. because then we can operate from here, and we can take over the rest of the land from here. We'll be so safe and secure, right? But he didn't do that. He said, no, destroy it. Why? Because he was relying on God and God alone, not on walls or stones. So they go from here, and now it's time to renew the covenant again with these people, this generation of Israelites. And um, so they go to an area in the hill country, in the hill part of the country, um, where there are two mountains that you can still see today, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And down in the valley between those two mountains, and through that mountain pass, was the town of what we—how we pronounce it Shechem. In Hebrew, it's Shechem. And uh, Shechem is where Abraham was. His first stop into the land at Bethel was right there near Shechem. And uh, so it's a very significant area and city for the Abrahamic covenant and the gift of the land. And so the Israelites go, now there's so many of them. They can't just gather in one place. So half of them get on Mount Ebal, half of them get on Mount Gerizim. And Joshua stands in between and he reviews the law. It says that he reads the entire book of the law. Now, if you can imagine, that was a lot. He didn't just read the Ten Commandments. And uh, all the women, the children, the men, everybody standing there in the hot sun, listening to the entire book of the law, the the terms of their covenant. And in order to renew that covenant and prepare them then for uh, taking the rest of the land. So uh, in this area, they bury the bones of Joseph because at Shechem, uh, Jacob had bought a piece of land. And so in that land is where they buried the bones of Joseph. That's why if there's any tomb back in Egypt for Joseph, it's an empty one because the bones have been buried in the land of Israel. So, um, Joshua then, uh, after the conquest, Joshua brings everybody back to this very place at the end of his life and um, renews everything with them again. Remember, things don't happen overnight. And so every 10, 20 years, you have a new generation of people. And So this repetition of the terms of the covenant and reminding new generations is what I love in this story because God brought one generation out of Egypt. Then there was another generation that was able to enter the land. They take the land, and now this is another generation that He renews the terms of the covenant with. And then uh, this is at the end, but I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So let let's back up. We have in this week's reading the story of the conquest, and I know it's a little bloody, it's a little vengeful. Um, as I, as I've said over and over, it is what it is. This is how they operated then. This is what they expected of complete victory, and so they eliminated, and they burned the cities behind them. Now, the the point I want to make here is that while we in the 21st century may not like all of the war and the battles here, it is a very accurate description of the times. And that's why I believe we can stand on the truth of the Bible because it really is depicting very accurately how things were done in that time. It's not been whitewashed. It hasn't been changed so that it is agreeable to future generations. Um, It's telling you how it was then, and it is what it is. So after the conquest, then we have what's called a division of the land where the different tribes are given different areas of the land. And in the book of Joshua, it it then ends with this beautiful uh, flowery language of that God gave them all the land. The conquest was 100% successful. And um, in a way, it's not actually There's more to the story. Let's put it that way. I'm not saying that the description is not true, but just because God apportioned the land to the tribes doesn't mean that they had actually conquered all the peoples in those lands and taken possession of all those territories. And so we also have in the book of Joshua a list of all the failures of the different tribes where they failed to actually take all of the territory. And one of those stories is the story of Dan. The children of Dan were given an area down on the Mediterranean coast where the the Canaanites were, and they did not succeed. In fact, they failed miserably. And later on, the tribe of Dan actually moved up to the north of the country and settled a different area. And there's important lessons here about that the other tribes should have helped Dan. Uh, The other tribes should have made sure that the others possessed their land before they went and enjoyed their own land. Um, Dan didn't. Dan goes up to the north. And later, Dan leads the country into serious um, false worship through Jeroboam and uh, shares a lot of responsibility for the fall of Israel to the Assyrians. But we'll get to that at a later date in our reading. But I just want you to have the background here. Dan was unable to settle their portion of the land. So the book of Joshua ends where Joshua has gathered everybody again here to the area of Shechem and has reviewed the covenant with them. And he starts the story with Abraham when he was still from a pagan family uh, in the, um, the north area of the Euphrates there. And he's reminding the people, that's where you came from, but here you are children of the God of Israel. And so you're not to give in to those other gods. And he reviews the whole story of the Exodus and the Red Sea Miracle and how that God gave them the land. And um, here they are uh, in the land and the people respond and say, we will serve the Lord. And he says, no, you won't. Uh, you know, this is, you're not going to do it. And they said, no, 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 we will. We will serve the Lord. And so he builds a monument there, another stone monument to remind them of their commitment. But we find out right after that, that the people did not tear down all the pagan altars. They did not completely possess the land, which is considered a breach of their contact of their contract with their god and it came to pass what god had told them he told them their gods will become snares to you and so apostasy begins it says joshua has died and his generation has now died eleazar the priest has died there's no one left that remembers the wanderings in the wilderness um, the, all of these miracles that they saw and this new generation who didn't see the miracles, all they know is they're in the land. They began to intermarry with the pagan peoples around them and they began to worship their gods. They're now part of an agrarian society and they began to worship Baal because he provides rain and he's kind of the weather god um, they begin to worship the Asherah, which are, uh, is a fertility god, and to bring fertility. And they are now entering into apostasy. And we enter the book of Judges and the period of the Judges, which is a very, very bleak period. There's ups and downs, I will say. It's a lot like a roller coaster. You have uh, one judge that comes along and leads the people righteously, and they're going up. And then you have one come and lead them into paganism, and they go right back down. So it's a lot of ups and downs, and that's why I'm going to leave those stories for next week where we start out talking about Deborah, and uh, we'll cover some of those stories. It's the period of the judges. The Israelites are in the land. They're like a tribal confederacy. Each tribe, each area has what's called a judge. It doesn't mean that they're a judge, like that they judge the law and legal cases, but they are a military leader. And some of them are just really evil and they lead their people astray. And um, it's a bleak period. But it's the one that God saw was gonna happen. And in the Song of Moses, he sang about it that these people are gonna be unfaithful. But at the very last line of the sign of the song, he said, But I will atone for the land and the people. First, we have to go through the apostasy. So we'll be back here next week. In the meantime, I hope you can join me in a couple of days for our going deeper interview with Tim Mahoney on evidences of the conquest. And then next week, see you back here on Walk Through the Bible when we cover next week's reading. In our show notes today, we also link to the uh, documentary by Tim Mahoney called Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus, where he talks about Jericho, and the conquest. So I hope you enjoy today and this week and our resources. I'll see you back here soon. And until then, God bless.